Well, that's great news that um, nothing can wash away our sins, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. So thankful for that truth and thankful to be with you all this morning. And uh, big day here. I, somehow, by God's grace, I did, did not, didn't disqualify my, by myself from being an elder this past week. I just locked myself in my room, and uh, that kind of helped. Um, no, it, it is a privilege, very humbling, and um, just uh, so appreciative. Our, our families appreciate it for you um, and how you've loved us and welcomed us into the family here, and just just so thankful for what God's done in our life to bring us here to the lake, and totally was not our plan, but it was his plan, and we're so thankful for that. And I just, uh, well, before we dive into our passage this morning, um, one thing I would like, like to say, just I'm glad there's only one here. That way I don't have to look one way to make sure it's up there. Uh, usually I'm not sure which way to look now. I know which way to look today, so uh, we, we'll go ahead and uh, point out that elephant in the room. Uh, um, I'm sure we'll get that fixed here at the people who take care of that, and you don't want me taking care of that. We wouldn't have any lights in here at all. Uh, before we dive in the passage, let me first just tell you how encouraged, I don't know where Brian went, but how encouraged and challenged I was last week by Brian Herzog's message. And just let you know, that's Brian number one, I'm Brian number two, all right? Um, just so encouraged, you know, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. It, it, it's such a simple, what we call a pity statement, uh, that they used to call a pity statement. My, my, my uh, grandmother had all those kind of things too, but just so encouraging, just a reminder of, of who we are drives our behavior, not the other way around. Or, or I, I like to say, what we do is not who we are, although who we are has a tremendous impact on what we do. And if we feed who we are with God's word, we're a lot less likely to be tempted and drawn away by the enemy. So it's so important for us to keep reminding that who we are deep down. What's in the well is most important, right? That's what's most important because what's in the well will come up in the bucket. It'll come out in our life. So, Brian, thank you so much for being faithful to teach that principle. There, He's back there now. Um, uh, thanks so much for being faithful to teach that, reminding us of that great truth. We can never be reminded too much of that. Well, this morning, after a couple of weeks uh, off from 1 Timothy with Resurrection Day or Easter Sunday, and Brian teaching last week, we're, we're returning to our study, as you can see here, um, in the book of 1 Timothy called Being, uh, Be Strong in Grace. And this morning is part 12. Uh, entitled, Want the Job and Above Reproach, or The Call and Qualifications of an Elder. Uh, the Call and Qualifications of, of an Elder. So please, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, with you this morning, and, and I hope you do, you can take that out, whether it's electronically or if it's paper, uh, take that out, turn to First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, because I want us to, to all look together there in just a few minutes. And in the problems of God, as you can kind of see, we're examining this passage on the very day that I was ordained as an elder. And I say the providence of God because this was not planned at all. You can ask all the elders, this was not planned. In fact, different things got pushed around because of JV and gone and different things. And we, this wasn't planned. This, this would land on here and this would be the day that I would be ordained as an elder. But as, as, as some would say, and they'd be wrong, luck would have it. And I don't believe in luck. I believe in the sovereignty and the providence of God that he ordains all things and he's not going, can you believe this happened to land on the same day? He's not saying that and I'm not saying that either. And just, just, just you know, it was well planned beforehand um, in his plan for this to happen. And it's very humbling to be ordained as an elder here and then um, get the opportunity to, to teach from this passage. Well, 
the last time uh, Jay taught in First Timothy, he taught verses 11 through 15, and it was entitled, Assuming Authority in the Church. And after we read those verses, many people thought, oh boy, Jay drew the short straw on this one. If you were here a few weeks ago and he taught through those verses, you were probably thinking he drew the short straw on those verses. And, and, he, and I know a few people said to me, I bet you're thankful you didn't get those verses. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate the, the uh, condolences or the congratulatory, uh, to, con- congratulatory remarks to me, but the truth be told, I would have welcomed the opportunity to teach those verses. And why would I say that? Well, they're part of God's word. And God's word, God's breathed out word, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, righteousness, that we might be complete and fully equipped. And those verses, 11 through 15, are part of God's word. So they're good for us. He, he wants us to be fully equipped, to be complete, to be encouraged, to be reproved, to be, to, to be trained by all those words too, even though those are some tough words, especially in our world today. Those were some tough, difficult words. They were definitely were not politically correct. And I think if you've been coming to the Potter's house for very long at all, you, you understand we're really not concerned if we're politically correct. We want to be biblically correct. And Jay handled those masterfully. I'm not, I'm not surprised, as he usually does, masterfully and with grace and yet with truth. Just like Jesus. Jesus came, he was full of grace and truth. And that passage was full of grace and truth too. And Jay said he wasn't afraid uh, to teach those verses either because he believes it to be a beautiful and empowering passage that gives us a glimpse into the heart of God and his design and intention for men and women. And, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly, and if you were here listening to him teach through those, you would agree wholeheartedly too. It's a beautiful picture of God's masterful design and his plan for men and women. And, and we discovered and we were reminded that God made men, men and women equal but different. And oh, how I'm thankful that we're different. <laughs> um, I would not want to marry somebody like me. Uh, and thankfully I didn't. I married way above my head. We, we, have, we have equal value but we have different roles. And that's obvious, just the way that God made us, the way that we, we complement each other. And to illustrate and emphasize uh, the fact that men and, women, men and women are equal but different, Jay took us back to Genesis. You remember Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. And the reason that Jay took us back to Genesis 3, 1 through 7 is because that's where Paul took us back to in that passage in Timothy. He says, for it was Adam. Oh, we've got to go back to Adam, Genesis. That's exactly what Paul did. And he took us there um, in verses, verses 1 through 7 uh, of chapter 3, and we saw that Satan deceived Adam and Eve to go against God's design. They decided, we, we, God, we got a better way. We know, we know you created the world and all those big things and all that wonderful things, but we've got a better way to do this. We've got a better design, a better plan, so we're going to go that way and see how it works out. Well, how did it work out? Not very good. We're still dealing with the consequences of Adam and Eve rejecting God's design today. And if we're all honest, anytime we reject God's design, his plan, we deal with negative consequences in our own lives. We can relate. And Jay wisely pointed out that just as Adam and Eve stood at the foot of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and had to decide whether they were going to trust God and his word and his way or trust Satan and his way, so in much the same way, We are forced to decide what God has to say about leadership in the church to to believe that or what another idea is about God's design or someone else's design for leadership in the church. 
the other idea is that men and women are the same. We see that all over the place in our world today. The world wants us to believe that we're the same. And, and, and I, I know I probably don't have to tell anybody in this, this room here this morning, we are not the same. We are not the same. I, be, because I deal in the sports world, this is a major issue right now. We have, we have men competing with women as women, but they're not women. They're not the same. And we are fighting this battle. We've been fighting it since the beginning, since this happened in, in Genesis 3. We've been fighting it and, and just coming up in different ways. We are not the same. We have equal value and equal worth in the sight of God, but we're different and beautifully different. We have different roles, and the same goes for the church. He had a perfect design for Adam and Eve when he created them. He had a perfect design for Adam. He had a perfect design for Eve, and he had a perfect design for them together to complement each other. And just as God had a perfect design and plan for Adam and Eve to fulfill, he has a perfect design and plan when it comes to leadership in the church. God teaches in, in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, that men should lead in the church, specifically when it comes to being elders. That's his design. And, and you'll be remember, Jay, he, when he summed us up well, when he said, the church works best when men in the church are remarkably men, and women in the church are remarkably women. As we trust his design, we need to remember that men and women, again, are equal, but we're different in our roles in the home and in the church. Um, and, and with this, as we review this, as we think about this, this leads us into our passage this morning. It ties in. I know that you know this just to remind you. Maybe you don't, but the, like the verses here, the numbers in your Bible, they weren't there in the original. And sometimes we break them off, and it's helpful because we can say, hey, if I turn to chapter 3, verse 1 through, we can get there together. But sometimes when, when you do that, you miss the flow of the passage. We'll read the end of chapter 2, and we'll just stop. And then we'll pick up with chapter 3, and we'll think, well, this must be a new subject. But it's not. They all tie together, and we'll see how that ties together. That As we think about God's plan for leaders of the church, it hasn't stopped at the end of chapter 2. It's just, in some ways, just beginning in chapter 3. So if you would stand with me as we read passage for uh, us this morning. We're going to be examining um, just verses one and two today, but I want us to read all seven verses of this so we make sure we get this all in context. We'll just be going actually this verse one and half of verse two this morning, but I want us to read all of this as we begin to, to venture into this study over the next several weeks of the, the call and qualifications for elders. So if you would read with me. It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But... If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You can be seated. And we always trust God. When we read his word, as it says, we will see later in the pastoral epistles, do not give up the, proc the, the, the public reading of God's word. And we want to do that every week. And we trust when we do that, God will bless the reading, the hearing, and the teaching of his word. Well, before we dig into our passage this morning, which is obviously about leadership, about eldership in the church, I, I want to make sure that you know, and this kind of 
awkward in some ways, but not that you know who are the elders here at the Potter's House. Now, they were all up here except for Chad this morning because Chad's not here. Um, but I want them to stand up again, and you may not know their names. So I'm going to stand, I'm not going to have them introduce themselves. I want you, all the elders stand up again, all right? And so we can point them out. So over here we have Jason Whittle. Behind him we have Dan Alkar. Back there, Brian Herzog, he's back in the booth, all right? And Curtis Dickerson's over here. We're, we're, oh, Matt Cody's back there in the booth as well. And then also we have uh, Chad Nugent. So you guys can sit back down. I want you to see who our elders are. It's important for you to see who God has called to, to shepherd our body here at the potter's house. Uh, these are the men that have been called and, 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 to, and also um, to let you know we are not perfect. They are not perfect. I am not perfect. Um, but they have been called by God and affirmed because of the way that we do it here at the potter's house by you all to serve in these roles. Um, well, <clears throat> I know what many of you are thinking already. All right, we read this passage, I pointed out the elders, you're thinking, well, this passage has nothing to do with me, I'm going to kick my feet up, lay back, and take some little snooze, all right, catch up on the weekend of not getting enough sleep. But think again, it most definitely applies to every Christian here this morning. Every Christian, because every follower of Jesus is to exemplify the qualities listed here in verses 1 through 7. Everyone. In fact, I could go to a passage of Scripture for each one of these qualities that call all believers to strive to live out these things, not just the elders. So don't check out over the next few weeks as we look at this. This is qualified, and we'll see these, these are things that, that when, people, when men get to a certain point of maturity and experience in serving the body of Christ, the body affirms them to lead our church, but they, they have to be exemplary in these things. But all of us are called to be exemplary in these things. Does that make sense? So please don't check out. These things apply for every person in here. Think of it like this. If you desire to be an effective business leader and you found out that there was a book out there that had seven principles to be an effective business leader. There's been something like, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. There's been a book kind of like that, right? Um, And you knew that that would make you as effective leader as possible, right? If you carried out all seven of those things, grew in all seven of those, those effective habits, to make you an effective business leader, would you just strive to be good in one? Well, I'll be an effective business leader if I'm good in this principle. Well, and I'm kind of struggling that principle. It's like I'll go over here and didn't get this principle. No, if you wanted to be as effective as you possibly could as a, as a leader in your business, you would study all seven. You would try to grow in all seven. And in a much greater way when it comes to just being a follower of Jesus Christ, these are things that can help all of us grow and to be effective leaders because we're all leaders in some ways in God's family. So please don't check out. Please listen and say, man, Lord, how does this uh, apply to me? Well, as we think about... Um, elders this morning, obviously, in the church, consider the following job description of an elder. All right, here's, here's a job description posted for an elder. A real challenge for the right man. Opportunity to become better acquainted with people, limitless benefits, applicant must offer experience and know-how, such as office manager, educator, artist, theologian, audio engineer, politician, salesman, diplomat, writer, psychologist, funeral director, wedding consultant, master of ceremonies, athlete, and teenage specialist. An elder must also know all about the problems of birth, schooling, marriage, children, diets, and death. Also conversant with the latest theories and practice in economics, nuclear science, and nutrition. 
The right man will hold firm views on every subject, but is careful not to upset people who disagree. Must smile habitually. Sing softly. Must be forthright, but flexible. Return backbiting and gossip with Christian love and instant forgiveness. An elder should all have friendly disposition 24 hours a day. You've got to stay awake that long. All right. Must be a captivating speaker and intense listener. Education preferably beyond PhD requirements. But always concealed in homespun modesty and folksy tale. Will spend at least 30 hours per week in study, but remain ever available and adaptable to sudden interruption. Must certainly be up on current events, novels, the arts, and periodicals. Reading a minimum of 15 hours in weekly fields outside of the ministry. Elder's wife, that's my favorite part, must be both stunning and plain. Smartly attired, but conservative in appearance. Gracious, yet discerning. Loving, yet disciplined. Must be thrilled to work in church kitchen, teach Sunday school, run copy machine, babysit, never become discouraged, never listen to gossip, and yet be fully aware of all church problems so she might pray more intelligently. Elders' children must be clean-cut, all-American models, no long hair, beards, mustaches, bare feet, or overalls, well-behaved, yet no different from the other youths at the church, tanned and handsome, but seldom at the beach, <laughs> unless they're witnessing, present and quiet at all church services. An elder's auto must not be new or old, adequate but not stylish, no van, camper, sports car, convertible, or motorcycle permitted. Home near the church and always available for gatherings. Home must not be either large nor small, lest others feel uneasy. An elder is directly responsible for views and conduct of all church members and visitors. Impervious to criticism, yet teachable and transparent. Visionary, yet budget-minded. Creative, yet traditional. Defender of the faith, yet pleasant and positive. Anybody want that job? And we just had seven elders resign. <laughs> okay. And it's just so ridiculous. We were laughing, and we should be, because it's so ridiculous. But I'll tell you, sometimes that's the expectation for elders. I've been there. And they're not biblical expectations. They're expectations that other people put on them. And uh, it's just one example of an unbiblical guidelines that are present in leadership in the church as a whole today. God's word is very clear about leadership in his church. Yet many people look every place but God's word to find how God wants leadership to be in the church. And the church as a whole is suffering for it, suffering for it. I'm fully aware that, that many of us come from different backgrounds, many different church backgrounds that had different leadership um, styles, different leadership polity or organization. I, I completely understand that, completely understand this. So I want to be careful when I say this, and, and some of you came from great churches and had a different leadership style, and God used that. He blessed that. There's no doubt. However, here at the Potter's House of Camden, our form of leadership cannot be based on pragmatism or popularity. Instead, it must be based on the inerrant word of God. We have to, and then we, have, we can still have problems, but we got to make sure we're starting on the right place. 28 years ago, I began a study, that means I was 25 years old, that means I'm 53 if you want to do the math real quick, soon to be 54. Um, I, I began a study when I was 25 years old because I've been con not confronted, but I've, I'd seen different church leadership styles different from what I grew up with. So I began to say, I want to know what the Bible has to say about leadership 
what does the Bible have to say about leadership in the New Testament? So I began to study, and I took, I had this big Bible, I had margins about that big, and I just took off in First and Second Timothy and Titus, which are pastoral epistles and Acts, and I just began to study and study and study. Lord, what is it? What does your word say about leadership? And, and I found that the New Testament overwhelmingly, and I have the underlined and bolded in my notes, taught that the church is to be led by a team of elders, a plurality of elders, not one guy, but many. And this is a consistent teaching in the New Testament. And please don't hear this like I'm trying to pick a fight. Please don't hear this. But if you can find differently, would you come and show me? And I'm confident you won't find differently. You take that time and study. You will not find anything different than what's presented in the New Testament. A plurality of elders, a team of elders to lead and shepherd his flock. Yes, there are other leadership roles like deacons, and we're going to get there later in chapter 3 of, of, of 1 Timothy here. Um, and, and, but that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about elders. And some of the things that Jay and I will cover over the next few weeks are things you probably heard in the chalk talks. Um, but we're going to go a little, we're going to dive a little bit deeper. And I don't know about you, but for me to be able to, to not only remember, but to understand and embrace things, I need to hear them over and over again. And, and I don't think that's just me. And yes, I've been hit in the head many times. And, and, and maybe I need more, but I think all of us, if we're really going to understand and embrace them and believe that those things are true, we've got to hear them over and over and again. Uh, and, and I hope that's the case. Well, let, let's br- brief, briefly here, just before we get into our passage here, to turn our attention to terms using the two New Testament to describe these men who are called to lead. All right, so I'm going to pull these names up here. And the first one is overseer, which we see other places, but we see it in 1 Timothy 3, 1, which we're going to look at today. We see the word elder um, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 19, and then shepherd or slash pastor. We, and I have the, the Greek uh, um, up there. It's not actually Greek letters. It's a, uh, just changed into English so we can see them. Episcopos, presbyteros, and plumen. All right? And, and, those, and you're thinking, he's going to impress us with Greek. I'm not, but it's important because... This is, it's important for us to see what the New Testament teaches about these things. They're synonymous. These three terms are all synonymous. They're speaking of the same group of men all through the New Testament. And I'm going to show you that just to prove you. So anytime somebody makes a statement, what, what state do we leave in? Missouri and we're the what state? So say, show me. All right, so I'm going to show you. We're in Missouri. All right, not only Missouri in place. We want to see, make sure that I'm not pulling a, a fast one on you. In Titus... Verses 5 and 7, look what it says. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders. It's the word presbyteros. In every city as I directed you. And then verse 7, speaking about the same group of men. For the overseer, episkopos, must be above reproach and God's steward. Okay, you see that. He's talking about the same group of men, and he uses two different words to refer to them. All right, now look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you, and then you go to verse 2 and tells them to shepherd, the flock among you, speaking about the same group of people. All right, so when we, we see here that shepherd, pastor, and elder are referring to the same people. Now look at Acts. This is my favorite one because it involves all three. All right, Acts 20, verse 17, and then verse down 28. From Miletus, he sent Ephesus, sent to Ephesus as Paul, and called him to him the elders, presbyteros of the church. In verse 28, be on God for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseas, episcopos, to shepherd, puomino, which is a, a, a 
verb form there, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Notice all three words are used interchangeably about the same group. They're, they're not different. They're the exact same group. The term elder, and this might help you, the term elder stresses the dignity and position of the ministry in the church. All right? The term overseer stresses the function and work of an elder. And the term shepherd or pastor, we have it translated differently in English, shepherd or pastor, stresses the heart and attitude in which they are called to carry out this position and function. Let me say that again. So we have elder is the dignity and position. Right? Overseer is the function and work. Shepherd pastor is the heart. And it's all speaking about the same group of men. And all this must be kept in proper perspective. And to do that, we find in 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We must keep this truth at the forefront of minds. Jesus alone is the chief shepherd. It's his church. This is his church. This is Jesus' church. And every shepherd in the church is an under-shepherd to Jesus. We all fall down before him because he is our chief shepherd, thankfully. Well, thankfully also that the Lord gives us clear instruction concerning his under-shepherds known as elders. He's got lots to say about elders. And with that biblical foundation laid out by God's plan for his church to be led by a team of godly men, they're called elders. Let's turn our attention now to our passage for this morning. Um, and, and since God has called and planned for this to be, we have to ask this question, well, then who can be an elder? Who, who can be an elder? That's the question we're asking this morning, who? And thankfully, we, we have that answered in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And as we examine verse 1 and then the, the first part of verse 2 this morning, I want us to look at it through two overarching principles of elders we, we find here. And I'm going to throw those up there for you note takers. The calling of elders in verse 1 and the qualifications of elders in verses 2 through 7. So we'll start on that, the second one, today, but we're going to do many weeks to get through verse 7. Um, but before we look at these two overarching principles, let me point out something at the beginning of verse 2 here in our passage. This morning. I'm sorry, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. Do you all remember that statement earlier in 1 Timothy? It is a trustworthy statement statement, just pretend like you do, because then Jay and I will think you actually listen to us. All right, so it, it, we saw earlier in, in 115, it is a trustworthy statement, and it's, it's used five times in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Only time in the New Testament this phrase is used, it is a trustworthy statement. It's only used in those three books, and it's used five times in those three books. And basically what I'm saying, this is a true statement that everybody would already know. It's a trustworthy statement. It's a faithful statement that you know about. So listen up. It's important. It's like, hey, if you haven't been listening so far, listen. That's what, that's what Paul's saying as he writes. It's a trustworthy statement. And their, their ears, as they heard this read out loud, because there was one letter, and it came to the church, and it was read to the church of Ephesus, they would be, oh, this is a trustworthy statement. Not that the rest of it's not, but this is really important. I don't want to miss this. That's what he's saying to us, to listen. Um, so, it, it, it's saying this is important, and no doubt that leadership in a church is important. So let's now look at this first overarching principle of elders from our passage this morning, the calling of elders, the calling of elders. And the first thing we see in our text about the calling of elders is the calling is convincing. Look with me in verse 1. See that phrase there? It says, if any man aspires. Aspires means to reach out after. Right? They, they aspire, to stretch oneself to grasp 
something. And, and this describes an external act describing a man that's reaching out that wants to serve as, a, 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 as an elder in the church. That, that, that they, 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 they're doing all they can to be able to serve as an elder in the church. They're reaching out for it. All right, now notice that the, the next phrase here says, he desires to do. He desires to do. The word desire, it's a passion, a passionate com- compulsion descri- describes an inner desire. A passionate compulsion describing an inner desire. He desires. This inward desire can ca- would cause a man then to aspire, hey, I, I would like to be an elder. It's, it's a call from within. And then that person who has that call from within will, will do whatever it takes for training, for, for reproof, for correction, for whatever it is to, to be able to serve in, in that kind of role. Um, in other words, this man wants the job. If that was truly the do- job description, which well, it's not, thankfully, but if that was truly the descri- job description of an elder, which I read earlier, then if this person was called from then, had a desire, they would say, hey, I want the job. Sign me up. Now, that's ridiculous, but when we begin to look at these um, qualifications here of, of an elder, uh, only someone that has that inner call would want to sign up for this. R- really, I mean, this just got to be an inward call, and that's what it's talking about. Here's an inward call. And, um, and, and many people think, okay, that sounds kind of like conceited, that, hey, I want to do that. I want to be a leader. Sign me up for a leader. But, but the, this aspiring, this desiring here, this ambition um, it, it is not a, a, a self-serving ambition. It's a selfless ambition. Lord, I want to use my gifts to serve and lead and shepherd your people. You don't see that that's condemned. Actually, Paul, Paul says this is a good thing, that they want to do it. There's a desire. And they're, they're, they're volunteering. Hey, I, I would be happy to do that. It's a good thing. Now, most of the times, if somebody came, uh, most of the time, if somebody came to you if you're in business or another organization, and said, "Hey, can I be a leader?" What would you say? Well, kind of, who does he think he is? Who does she think she is? Is she going to step up and wants to be a leader? That's not the case here because the motive is right. And, and I, when I think about this convincing call, it's similar to what Paul says when he, he's talking about his call to preach the gospel in, in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. It says, "For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of." For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He couldn't help himself. He, it just came out. And, and, and I'll just be honest with you. I can't help myself. I, I can't help myself. But to love God and love people. And to want to use my gifts to serve the church. I can't. It's just in me. It's something God placed in me. I think it, as a, even in, you know, when I was younger that that was in me. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do with my life. It's to serve God's people. And not what, for all what I get out of it, but for what he gets out of it. I shared this recently with some friends. Actually, a couple times in the last week, um, a guy named Howard Hendricks, he was a, a seminary professor at Dallas Theological for years and years. He actually taught up into his 90s. He passed away a number of years ago, um, taught hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is a big word for Bible study methods. How do you study your Bible? Well, re- well respected around the world. And Howard Hendricks uh, said this. It was passed on to me what he said. He said, you know, there's only two things in this world that will last forever. Only two things. God's word and people. So spend your life investing God's word into people. 
And that's what I want to do. That's what I do with FCA football, with coaches. That's what I want to do here. And in reality, aren't we all called to that? Aren't we all called to invest God's word into people? Whether we're a farmer, or an electrician, an engineer, whatever it is that we are, we're called to invest God's word into people. And elders, more than anything, that's what God calls them to do. And that should be their heart. It should be con- just a convincing call to do that here in a local church. Well, not only is the calling of the elders convincing, but the text also teaches the call is sobering. Look here. The office of overseer, as we saw that this word overseer, some translations say bishop, uh, denotes having responsibilities for others. You have a responsibility for others. And, and notice what it says about these elders and these overseers that have a responsibility of, of others in Hebrews 3, 13, 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let me read that again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they, the elders, keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Anybody want that job? Does anybody want that job? Only those who are called inwardly would want that job. We're we're held responsible. We're, We're held accountable. The elders of this church are held accountable for the people that we shepherd in this body. It's a sobering truth. It's a sobering call. It's not, well, yeah, just, yeah, sign me up. No, 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 no. That's not what it is at all. The call of the elders is most definitely sobering. So I would just ask you would please pray for the elders here at our church. Pray that God would remind us over and over and over again that this is a sobering call. This is serious. I can see the look on some of your faces. Man, he's like serious about it. I am serious about this because God's serious about it. It's not a joking matter at all and, and it, it is serious and we take it serious and I can promise you every man that serves as an elder here I've gotten to know him over this past year they take it seriously they really do well not only is the calling of an elder convincing and sobering but our passage points to one more aspect about the calling of an elder the calling is noble look at um, this phrase here it is a fine work some translations actually say it's a noble task it's, it, it's honorable, it's excellent, it's of high quality. That those called to this task must realize it's a noble calling. It's noble. It's a high calling. They must also know that anything noble or honorable is demanding and costly. I, I love this quote. I'm going to read this quote. I usually don't like to read long quotes. I just blew that earlier with that illustration. But um, I'm going to read another longer quote, not as long as that, by a guy named Bob Moorhead, um, when it shows how demanding and how costly it is. God, give us men, ribbed with the steel of your Holy Spirit, men who will not flinch with the battle's fiercest, men who won't acquiesce or compromise or fade when the enemy rages. God, give us men who won't be bought, bartered, or badgered by the enemy, men who will pay the price, make the sacrifice, stand the ground, and hold the torch high. God, give us men obsessed with the principles true to your word, men stripped self-seeking and a desire for security. Men who will pay any price for freedom and go to any lengths for truth. God, give us men delivered from mediocrity. Men with high vision, pride low, faith wide, love deep, and patience more. Men who are dare to march to a drumbeat of a distant drummer. Men who will not surrender principles of truth in order to accommodate their peers. God, give us men more interested in scars and medals, more committed to conviction than convenience. Men who will give their life for the eternal instead of indulging their lives for a moment in time. God, give us men who are fearless face of danger, calm in the midst of pressure, bold in the midst of opposition. God, give us men who will pay earnestly, work long, preach clearly, and wait patiently. Give us men 
whose walk is by faith, behavior is by principle, whose dreams are in heaven, and whose book is the Bible. God, give us men who are equal to the task. Those are the men the church needs today. Would you pray that God, by his grace, would help us be those kind of men for his glory? It's also important to understand that the inward compulsion or desire of the calling of an elder must also be met with outward characteristics, outward character qualities. The subjective desire from within must be matched by the objective qualifications. Just because there's a desire within doesn't mean someone should be an elder. They have to have character qualities that are displayed that everybody can see that make an elder. So this leads us to the second key component found in our passage um, this morning, the qualification of elders. And as we begin this, this morning actually just looking at the character, or qualif- character qualifications of an elder, keep in mind this statement. God is not so much looking for gifted men to lead his church. He's looking for godly men. Way more concerned if they're godly than if they're gifted as we look at these qualifications of these godly men he wants to, to lead his church, we, we notice that the qualifications speak ex- almost exclusively about character qualities, not gifts, except maybe must be able to teach. And that's even debatable if that's actually a gift. It just must be a willingness to be able to, we'll send it to Titus, to defend the faith, right? But at least most of them are character qualities, not gifts. Look with me at, at verse 2, all right? It says, must be above reproach. This is the overarching quality of an elder. Everything else falls in to this. You'll see, they must be, or your translation may say blameless, right? Must be above reproach. And, and then we'll see the other 13 that fall underneath this that kind of line up, well, what does it look like to be above reproach in your home? What does it look like to be above reproach in the community? What does it look like to be above reproach in the how you handle money, how, how you deal with other people, how you deal with difficulty, and this also is in the present tense. It means an ongoing reality in the life of, a man, of this man. It must be above reproach. It means that the character needs to be without any major blights. Or this is literally, it means free of accusation. Now that doesn't mean that it might not be accused of something. It just means that the accusation can't stick. They're like Teflon. Right? You fry your eggs in. Is it still Teflon? There's probably something better than that. But it's like Teflon, right? It just won't stick. And whatever accusation is made against an elder, it shouldn't be able to stick. I love what one man says. His lifestyle is such that no one can legitimately accuse him of conduct which is unbefitting of a mature believer. And doesn't mean the elders are perfect. Believe me, I'm one of them now, and I can promise you if you came to a church looking for perfect elders because I became one, you should go find some someplace else because I'm not sinless. I'm not perfect. We have weaknesses. The fact is, though, he is above reproach. It has nothing to do with a man's education. This is where we get in trouble. It has nothing to do with success in business or any other occupation. It has nothing to do with organizational skills. It has nothing to do with net worth. Instead, it has everything to do with their character and their example. Maybe you're thinking, wow, it's, is it even possible to be above reproach? And the answer, yes, it must be because God says they must be above reproach. And, and men in, in the Old Testament, Noah, Job, and Daniel, it all says of them they were above reproach. God wouldn't say, give a qualification that wasn't attainable by his grace. It's possible only by the continuing power of the gospel and our continuing trust in the transforming power of the gospel in our lives. 
So what does it look like to practically be above reproach? Well, in the coming weeks, we're going to see in verses 2 through 7, all these li- this list. Here's what it looks like to be above reproach in every area of your life. Would you pray for the elders here at Grace, or here, not here, here at Grace, here, here at Potter's house, by his grace that we would be above reproach and that God, in his timing, would give us more men that would be above reproach and called as an elder too? Would you, be, would you pray for that? We need to pray for these things. We need to ask God, would you give us men like this? And if we don't have any men like this, Lord, send us some men. Well, as the character of the leaders go of a church, so goes the testimony of the church. And as I mentioned before, this above reproach isn't just for those who are serving as elders, it's for all of us. God calls us all to be above reproach. So when an accusation is thrown at you, it can't stick. It's not going to be true. It doesn't mean that, that we, we, don't, we don't fall, we don't sin. It doesn't mean that at all. But even when it is thrown and it can stick for a short time, that you're quick to confess your sin, that I'm quick to confess my sin and repent and say, God, grow me in this area. Grow me in this area. And by his ever-empowering grace and be above reproach. Well, God always invites us to respond to his word. Always. We always have to ask the question, well, so what? Right? We see this truth in his word so what? What difference does it make? Well, it makes a difference. It definitely does. So here are some suggestions on how we might respond to God's word today in the coming days. Please, as I've mentioned a couple times, pray for the elders of our church that God would continue to grow us in his grace to be above reproach. Pray he would protect us from the evil one. We need your faithful prayers. We're going to make mistakes. We will sometimes make decisions too quickly and we'll sometimes make decisions too slowly. We'll sometimes make decisions thinking we have all the info we need to make that decision and to only find out later there was more info we didn't have. The bottom line is we're not perfect. So if you're looking for perfect elders, this wouldn't be the place to come. But if you're looking for elders who know they're weak without the continuing power of the gospel, transform their life, renewing their mind, who rely on the Holy Spirit and his word and love the people here, you came to the right place. Because I can tell you that these men, they love God, they love his word, and they love you. Also, another way to respond is pray that the Lord, by the continuing power of the gospel, would, would grow each of us to be above reproach, individually. God, where in my life do I need to be above reproach? Would you grow me in that area? Show me that. Just pray, God, show me. How can I be above reproach in every area of my life? And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, he desires for you to be his child. We saw this earlier. God desires that all would be saved. All, all kinds of people. No matter where you come, what your background is like. He wants you to be part of his family where he calls leaders who will faithfully and humbly lead and serve you and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, I urge you to turn from trusting in yourself to make you right with God. Turn from the deceitfulness of sin and turn and trust in the, le- the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for your sin to give you forgiveness and give you new life, to change you from within. My prayer is if you're that place this morning, I urge you to turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, with that said, let's stand together as we read once again our verses for this morning. There you go. Would you read these with me too? It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of his overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then 
must be above reproach. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are at your mercy. Lord, to be able to carry this out, those who have been called as elders, those who are followers of you, and we think about this. Lord, we, we need your grace, your empowering grace, your sustaining grace to be above reproach so that your name can be lifted high, so that people would want to know about your son, Jesus, who was sent to die in our place. Lord, help us. Lord, help those here that serve as elders or to faithfully fall on our knees before you and ask you for help to grant us the grace to shepherd well, to serve well, to lead well, to seek your face, to seek your word, to help lead the people here at the Potter's House. We trust that you will do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, with those sobering words this morning in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2, um, by his grace, let me say this, Potter's House, give him heaven this week. Give him heaven.